Today we are continuing our series. Actually, it's our theme for the entire year is big. And so if you have your Bible, we're going to be looking today in John chapter 16, verse number 33. It's the only verse we're going to be looking at today. But our theme this year, as I said, it's big. And and the reason why is we were talking about what we wanted to focus on for this year. We decided we wanted to focus on the bigness of our God. That there is nothing that is too big, there is nothing that is too great or too difficult for God to be able to handle. And I, and I think that many of us, and I would say probably most of us that are sitting in this room today, we would say, yeah, that is something that I agree with. I agree that God is a big God. I believe that God can do great things in my life, that He can do big things in the life of the church. But then there's something that sort of kind of comes into life that oftentimes tempers what we say that we believe in. And that's why for the rest of this month, as we continue our series of big, we're going to take a look at really some big questions that people have that oftentimes will temper our faith and what we say we believe. And I really believe that one of the, one of the biggest questions that tempers the faith of most people is this question. Why does God allow there to be suffering? You know, why is it that there are times when bad things will happen to good people? And the other side of that is that why does it seem like that a lot of times good things happen to bad people? Now, have you, have any of y'all ever asked those questions before or wondered about those things? Uh, that is, those are some, there's some times in my life when I will ask those questions. And if you have ever asked that question, I want you to know you are in good company. I mean, that has been a question pretty much that has been asked since the beginning of time. Matter of fact, in the book of Psalms, Psalm 73, verses 2 through 12, there's this man named Asaph. And it was a question that he had, and he looked at the world around him, and basically, here's, here's what he came to. Life is not fair. And let me just share with you what he wrote in those verses. He said, my feet almost slipped, my steps nearly went astray, for I envied the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He says, they, they have an easy time. They're not afflicted like most people. Therefore, pride is their necklace, and violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge out from fatness. That's a great word picture there. Uh, It says, the imaginations of their heart run wild. They mock. They speak maliciously. Their their tongues, uh, or they arrogantly threaten oppression. They set their mouths against heaven, and their tongues strut across the earth. Therefore, his people turn to them and drink in their overflowing words. And here's what the wicked say. They, They say, how can God know? Does the Most High know everything? And Asaph says, look at them, the wicked. They're always at ease. And they increase their wealth. You ever felt that way before? And what is up with that? You know, why that that is not fair. That is not right. What is the answer to all of this stuff? How am I supposed to deal as a believer with issues like this? And how am I to deal as a believer with the issue of suffering? Well, today in our passage of Scripture, we're going to see Jesus was talking to his disciples. And we're just looking at one verse today. And in this one verse, Jesus shared a very basic fact of life. And here's the very basic fact of life. There is suffering in this world. Yay! 
You know, I, I don't read that and think, man, that great. I mean, I struggle with that. You know, and I, I told the first service, I said, I, y'all, I have been built for comfort. This body was made for comfort. This was not made to hurt and be in pain. And then, and then I read scripture and Jesus is very honest. He says, this world will have suffering. And so it's my hope that we're going to look at this one verse and we'll be able to better you know, get a handle, approach suffering in a different manner than many of us normally do. And, and in John 16, I just want to share with you with the, sort of the background about what's going on. At this point, Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem because he's getting ready to die. He's getting ready to go to the cross. And so what Jesus was doing is he was preparing his disciples for life without him. And you have to remember, for three years, day and night, the disciples had been with Jesus. Jesus had been teaching them. Jesus had performed miracles in front of them. Jesus had revealed himself as a son of God. Everything about Jesus made it seem like he was invincible. Everything's going great. And then Jesus, he drops a bomb on him and says, I'm getting ready to leave. I'm getting ready to die. And for the disciples, this isn't fair. This isn't right. And so they're trying to figure out, well, what should I do? If he's really leaving, whenever I have hardship coming my way, how should I respond to that? And my natural tendency is when I see hardship coming my way, my natural response is I quit. You just, by by nature, you know, I'm a quitter. You know, stuff comes my way and it doesn't seem like it's going to work out. I'm done. I'm checking out because I ain't wasting any more time. So, so is that how we're supposed to respond whenever we see adversity and we see suffering? Well, here's my hope. My hope is that we're going to look at what Jesus had to say, that we're going to learn a few things that might us, might help us deal with suffering better. So there's a few things we need to know about suffering that I think can be helpful for us. So what do we need to know about suffering? very first thing to know about suffering, and it's important, is this. Jesus is not the author of of suffering. Jesus is not the author of suffering. Now, now look with me in verse 33, and this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, and he said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. Now, if we, if we look at all of scripture, you get a better picture of who God is and what he's trying to teach us. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 in verse number 1, it tells us who the creator of the heavens and the earth is, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I I think most people here would probably believe this and agree with this. But if we believe that God is the creator of all things, then I want you to take that thought process a little bit deeper and ask yourself this question. If God is the creator of all things, then does that mean that he created bad things? You know, whenever you see people who get a disease, did God make that? You know, whenever you have a loved one that you care about and you see them struggling in in life and you see them suffer and then you see them die, did God do that? Is God the one that made those things happen? Now, I, I have some opinions on this, but I don't want to freelance on this one. 
what I, what I want to do is instead of me sharing with you what I think, I think it's wise for us to say, well, but what does the Bible have to say? What, what does God have to say about these things? All right, now in Genesis one thirty one, when God created, here's what it says about it. It says, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. You see that? It says, all that God made, it was good. James 1.17 says, every, now think about that, every generous act and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And with them, with him there is no variation or shadow cast by turning. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. Now the idea here is that anytime you see division, anytime you see disorder in life, in creation, whatever it might be, that is not from God. It says God is not a God of disorder, but he is a God, it says, of peace. The word peace is a great word. It means free from danger. It means safe. So that means God's intent... God's desire from the very beginning when he created was for his people to experience freedom from danger, for them for them to experience being safe. Now, I think that goes contrary to what a lot of people think about God. I, I, I think there are a lot of people who believe this about God. They think God is sitting in heaven and he's got a big baseball bat and he's waiting for us to mess up so that he can bash us in the head with it. You know, like it's something that he really enjoys. But that is not the picture that Scripture paints for me. That is not God's desire for any of us. Let let, let me give you an example. The only time we have ever seen perfection in all of the world, and all of the earth, is whenever God created Adam and Eve, and he created the Garden of Eden. And whenever he created those places and those people, everything was perfect. It was just like God wanted. Death was not in the plans of God from the very beginning. Death is not from God. Second Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord does not delay His promise, as some understand delay, but He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to what? Perish. Another word for perish is die. God does not desire anyone to die, but all to come to repentance. That's who God is. He's a God of life. 1 John 1, 5 says, God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. That's that's impressive stuff. So God doesn't desire there to be death. God is a God of light. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. So then that begs the question, then why is there all this junk that happens in our world today? Well, we're going to see that answer in just a few moments. I think when you get to the end of verse number 33, you see some really encouraging things. But right now, what I want us to see is this. God is the originator of life. He is the creator of good. He is not a God who created the bad. Now, we're going to get into that in just a second about where's that from. But God, Jesus, is not the author of suffering. The Scripture tells us that God is a God who provides. That God is a God who takes care of His people. Now, the question is, will you trust God to provide. Will you trust God to take care of you even whenever you see suffering 
that's standing right in front of you? Will you trust him? You know, a story that, that I read years ago, and I, I love the story. It's, it's a man who was traveling. He's from Russia. It was the 1800s. He was traveling by ship to the United States. And as he was leaving, getting ready to leave, his aunt gave him a, a loaf of bread for the trip. And so that was what he was going to eat as he was making his journey across the ocean. And so he, he rationed it out so that he would have just enough to eat to make it all the way across the ocean. But as he was eating that bread, he would, they had a dining hall on the ship. And, and he'd just walk by and he'd see everybody in there eating. And it just, it just ticked him off. He's like, you know, they're, they're all in there enjoying a great meal. And here I am, I'm eating bread. Well, he learned something in the last couple of days of the trip. And that was whenever his aunt bought him a ticket... That ticket included meals. And the entire time, he'd been living in his own power, not realizing that he had already been provided for. And I thought, that's what so many of us as believers do. We try to make it through life on our own, in our own power, when God says, I have already provided for you. Matthew twenty-eight twenty, Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the very end, of the age. So whenever we talk about suffering, it's the first thing that I, that I want us to see here. And that is this, that, that Jesus is not the author of suffering. It does not come from him. So where, where's it from? This is the second part we need to know about suffering. Sin is the source of suffering. You, you want to know where suffering is from? It is not from God. Scripture will teach us that sin is the source of suffering. In verse 33, Jesus said, I told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You you will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. Now, there is a juxtaposition that's being drawn here. At the very beginning, Jesus says, in me you will have what? Peace. Then what does he say about the world? In this world you will have suffering. Jesus says, me, peace. This world, there's suffering. That that word suffering, it means to be pressed in upon. It means to experience pain. You ever had that in your life? You ever felt pressed in on in life? Where you feel like the weight of the world, the responsibilities that you have are almost unbearable? Have there ever been times in your life where you've experienced pain? There's a lot of people in our church that experience pain. Uh, before, this, the, the, before the first service started, I had two sisters that came in, and their, their mom was dying. They are in pain. They said, would you pray for us? There are people that I know that are in our church. As they look at their job situation and, and some of the uncertainties about their job and where they're going to move... They are in pain. They feel like they are on shaky ground. And I look at that stuff and I think, God, why does stuff like this happen? And these are good people. Yeah, God, why are bad things happening to good people? Why do you allow stuff like this to happen? Here's, here's the easy answer. God is not the originator of suffering, but sin is the source of of suffering. It has always been God's original intent for man to live in peace. And so then I ask the question, then why doesn't he make it happen? You ever wonder that? God, if you want us to do the right things, why don't you just make us do it? Here's what's interesting about God. 
God has provided every person in here today with free will. God enables you to make decisions and to choose on your own how you're going to live. We see a picture of this in Joshua 24, 15. Joshua said, but if it doesn't please you to worship Yahweh, choose for yourselves today the one you will worship. The gods your fathers worship beyond the Euphrates River or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you were living. As for me and my family, we're going to worship Yahweh. Jesus said in Mark 8.34, summoning the crowd along with his disciples, Jesus said to them, if anyone wants to be my follower, here's the choice, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now I look at that and I think, That's, that looks good here, but man, wouldn't it have been better if God had just eliminated free will and make us do what's right? Now, if he did that, then we'd be robots. You know, I say, well, I'd, I'd take being a robot over being, you know, being a messed up person. Well, try to think about it like this in, in marriage. For those of you who are married, and those of you who maybe one day will get married, let me ask you this question. When it comes to your spouse, would you rather your spouse, would you rather make your spouse love you as if that could ever happen? Or would you rather your spouse choose to love you? What do you think? Now, I know for me, I, I, I don't ever like it when somebody does something for me because they feel like they just have to. Yeah, I will, I will love you. <laughs> you know, thanks. You know, I, I'm not looking for that. I want somebody just to choose to love me. That is more powerful. And then I look at God, and I believe that is exactly what God has done with us. God will give you the choice to love him or not to love him. Now, because he gives a choice, you know what that means? It means that there are going to be some people that aren't going to make good choices. I mean, we know Adam and Eve. God said, "There's a, you can. this is all yours. This is all one thing. I'm going to command you one thing not to do. What'd they do? They went out and did it. They did exactly what God told them not to do. And because of that, the world got just way, way out of whack because of their choice. Their choice, not God. Their choice. It messed up creation. We're told in Genesis three seventeen through 19, and God said to Adam, because you listened to your wife's voice and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. And God said this, the ground, because of your choice, is going to be cursed because of you. He doesn't say because of me, it's because of you. He says you will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground, since you were taken from it, for you were dust, and you will return to dust. Now, what does that mean? It means everything is, has been out of whack, off kilter, ever since man chose to be disobedient to God. Now, we all like it when things work with precision, when they're predictable, when they work right. But when they don't, it gets very frustrating. That's life. You know, in, in sports, precision and predictability are always good things. Uh, my favorite, I love baseball. And in baseball, where there needs to be precision and predictability, it's, it's a pitcher. When a pitcher is throwing to the catcher, it, it, there needs to be some predictability about where the ball's going to go, right? I mean, he wants to throw it in such a way the hitter can't hit it, but the catcher knows where it's going to go. It's got to be in the right location. He even puts a spin on it to throw different kinds of pitches. He has to be precise. But there's one pitch a pitcher can throw, and he has no clue what's going to happen with it. I'm, I'm talking about somebody who actually knows what he's doing. I mean, for most of us, we're like, yeah, that happens to me every time I throw the ball. 
But for a pitcher, he knows what he's doing. It's the knuckleball. When a pitcher throws a knuckleball, I mean, he's like, I just hope it goes in a certain direction, but I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, I did Charlie, uh, I can't, gosh, I can't remember his name right now. He's a famous, what was it? There you go, Charlie Huff. Thank you very much. I love having people that know what they're talking about. Um, he, he was a knuckleballer. And here's what he had to say about the knuckleball. He said, when I throw it, he goes, it's like a wiffle ball. He said, it doesn't really have any spin on it. He goes, it will break three to four times before it gets to the catcher's mitt. And he said, but I don't know where it's going to go. I mean, that's the guy who actually throws the ball. He doesn't know what's going to happen. Uh, there was a, an, another man who played in the outfield for the New York Yankees. His name was Bobby Mercer. He said whenever he would stand up to bat and he knew there's a knuckleballer before him, he said, to me, hitting a knuckleball is like eating jello with chopsticks. Kind of hard to do. Joe Torre, the, you remember the manager for the uh, New York Yankees, uh, said that if, for a catcher, he said, if you're going to be catch, a catcher and catch a knuckleball, he said, you better, better bring a big glove and a couple of sets of rosary beads. Now you have no idea what's going to happen. Okay, that is what happens when there's sin in the world. Everything's unpredictable. Things don't happen like they're supposed to. So what I want us to see is that Jesus, Jesus is not the author of suffering. Sin is the source of suffering. But I want to I leave us with good news. And Jesus, Jesus leaves us with good news. This is the last thing. Jesus will conquer suffering. Now, that's the good news. In this world, there's going to be suffering, but Jesus will conquer it. Verse number 33. Jesus said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. And then here's the good news. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. Now, what we can gather from this one verse, there will be suffering in life. Be suffering for bad people? Yep. Going to be suffering for good people? Yep. They're going to be suffering for you and for me? Yeah. And the Bible says we shouldn't be surprised. First Peter 4.12. Peter said, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trials which await you. I mean, not exactly encouraging. But here's where we find encouragement. The last part of the verse... Jesus gives a command. So there's going to be suffering in this world, and then Jesus says this. He says, be courageous. Even in the midst of suffering, as a follower of Jesus, he says, be courageous. That, that is not my, that's not my natural response. When I see things that I deem unfair, whenever I see things that I don't like, my response is to gripe. My response is to complain. My response is to blame it on God. But Jesus says, be courageous. Now, that, that sounds good, but why would Jesus say that? Because of the last words of verse number 33. I have conquered the world. Now, you have to remember the context of the scripture. When Jesus said this, remember this, he has, he's not been to the cross yet. Y'all, he's going to the cross. Jesus, Jesus is telling them before he goes to hang on a cross, Guys, don't worry, I've conquered the world. In just a few days, he's not going to look like a winner. In a few days, Jesus is hanging on a cross. But Jesus said, be courageous. The Apostle Paul basically said the same thing. In 2 Timothy 1, 11 and 12, he said, for this gospel, he said, I was appointed as a herald, an apostle, I'm a teacher, 
And that is why I suffer these things. But I am not ashamed because I know the one I've believed in and am persuaded that he's able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. Paul said, be courageous, even in suffering. Why? Here's what it came down to. Paul's like, because my citizenship's not here. This life, for you and for me, does not have to be the final word for us. Jesus said, be courageous, I've conquered the world. He said that because something significant happened three days after Jesus went to the cross. He walked out of a tomb. Don't know about y'all, I've never seen that. Jesus conquered death. And the result of that? Revelation 21, verses 3 and 4. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity. He will live with them. They'll be His people. And God Himself will be with them and be their God. Here's the really cool part. And He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will exist no longer because the previous things have passed away. In October of 1982, there was a football game taking place at the University of Wisconsin. Badgers were playing a game. I think they are playing Michigan State. And Michigan State at the time was winning the game. And as they had scored a touchdown, something strange happened inside of the stadium of over 60 or 70,000 people. The fans were cheering. And there would be these weird weird intermittent cheers even as the Badgers were losing the game. And people were wondering, what is going on? Why would you be cheering when your team is losing? Well, what was going on is it so happened on that very same day, the Milwaukee Brewers were playing, I believe it was the St. Louis Cardinals in the World Series. And they had just taken the lead in the game, and there were a lot of people in the stands that had their transistor radios with them as they were watching the football game. The team on the field was losing, but a team they couldn't see was winning, and they were cheering. And I thought, that, that's us. That is the Christian life. As we are involved and in the arena of this world, we look out and, man, we see loss. We see pain. We see death. We see betrayal. We see hurt. But there's another game that's going on that we can't see yet. And it's victory. It's heaven. And so that's why Jesus says, even in the midst of trial and heartache, you can be courageous because there is victory in heaven. Don't allow this finite life to take precedence over an eternal God who has promised life for his people forever. In this world, well, we're going to have suffering. But Jesus says, be courageous. Because I've conquered the world. Now our God is a big God. There's a lot of things that we can get excited about. But I think sometimes our, our hope in our God is tempered by the question of why then is there suffering in this world. And there's some things that can help us I think here. Whenever I look into the scripture, here's what I see. Jesus is not the author of suffering. Whatever suffering and pain you're going through, I want you to know this. Jesus, Jesus didn't create that. Sin is the source of suffering. But I want you to know that Jesus will conquer suffering. So the big question for us is, are your eyes set on the arena of this world? 
or are your eyes set in the arena of God's world? Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we also have such a, a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before him, he endured a cross and despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. Jesus went to the cross with courage because this life is not it. There's another one to come and it's for those who will follow him. Suffering, it's going to happen. But we have hope in Jesus. Heavenly Father, I am grateful for your word. I, I am grateful, Heavenly Father, that you give us that you give us hope and promises even in the midst of suffering and lord there will be that there are heartaches that we've all experienced in life and there are things that happen in life god that i do not have any good answers for when i see sickness claim the life of a young person and when i see a godly man or a godly woman and i see them hurt and betrayed God, I don't have any, I don't have anything that can help them other than to say that you have given us your word and you tell us, be courageous. For I have overcome, I have conquered the world. Jesus, I pray that we will not be distracted by daily life, the hurts of daily life. But Lord, may we hang on to you as an anchor for our soul, saying whatever is happening around me, I will hang on to Jesus because I know that he wins. Lord, I pray today that there may be some people who will reach out to you for the first time and say, Jesus, today, I am asking you to be the anchor for my life. To forgive me of my sins. Today, Jesus, I trust you with all that I am. Lord, may there be people today who discover you. And I pray these things in Christ's name.